what you never knew about the priesthood. This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen, Father Chris House, back in the saddle. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. And we got Father Friedel from Our Lady of Lords and St. Thomas the Apostle in Decatur. Indeed. Thanks for making the trek over. It's it's a easy journey. I do it often. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about you know some of the aspects of the priest life you never even uh, maybe you thought of you you have questions of. Um, we see our priests, of course, at mass. We see them in our parishes. We see them in our schools. Hopefully, you see them in the confessional every once in a while. Uh, but what about the rest of a priest's life? Um, and a lot of this, I'll be honest, Father House, sparked my interest because I remember when we were sitting at Christ the King for. Um, your uh, dinner appreciation for the, the faculty and staff at Christ the King for uh, Christmas time. And one of the teachers asked you, well, how do you prepare for a homily? And I could tell she was really like, you know, like, I, I don't know how you guys do that. So I'm going to start with that question right away because it's weekly. I mean, the one thing about a ho- the one thing about producing a homily is as soon as it's over, you got to start preparing for, for, for the on, next one. So start with you, Father House. Like, uh, both of you guys are excellent, by the way, at, at homily. So how do you go about even thinking about putting together your homily every week? Well, usually for me, it starts that Sunday before in the afternoon or, or on Monday, just looking at the scriptures for the next week. And it's a, uh, a process kind of just of molding it over, thinking about it, praying with it. Um, do you write down stuff? Sometimes. Because huh. I don't use a text always. usually. And you're, you're, <laughs> always you're an always do. guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't use a text. I mean, sometimes I'll scribble down things to kind of get a thought process. Um, there's a couple commentaries I like to use. Um, one of them is a, people gasp, is an uh, old Presbyterian commentary written by uh, right. Barclay. But Barclay is great with historical things and, and linguistic things. You know, theologically, <laughs> we can run the other way on some of the parts, <laughs> but especially in the sacraments. But, uh, but so, no good historically in that. So again, so. you start on Sunday, and just every day you might might, might take a peek and see if things. And then what, what do you do? I like come Saturday morning, or you start to put all these pe- pieces together. Oh, it's going on all week. It's okay. kind of and it's funny because you can start somewhere on Sunday evening, and be in a totally different direction by Saturday morning, because hmm. that's the whole thing. Sometimes you see what life brings you throughout the week. That's why we were always taught to not save your homilies because on a three year cycle, how you preach on. The gospel this year, life will have changed in some way three years from now that you'll have different insights. So don't keep going back to what was. Father Friedel, so you're a you're a write a write it down kind of guy. Absolutely. So I, yeah, part of that is just I'm I get a little nervous speaking in front of people. Uh, I've learned to to do that a lot better, but it fascinates me actually. Father House was my pastor way back when. Uh, Back when he was starting out as a pastor, he was he was mine. Um, and uh, watching him preach, uh, I could never. I mean, I could never just stand up at a pulpit. And I don't know where you where you like how you can keep that line of thought uh, for how that. How do long, you do that? It's you amazing. You focus. Yeah, I, mean, well, just, I do I, not have that. But that's just, <laughs> I'm with you, Father. But, but, this, I, but this part, of the, sometimes I think preachers get their homily too complicated. Yeah. Basically, for, sure. for me, it's one thread. Follow the thread through. And a lot of, to be honest, I almost always, the gospel is the bedrock of my preaching. I may bring this first reading in, um, 
it can be very challenging to bring the second reading in because it's following its own tract, where the first reading, the psalm, and the gospel, there's supposed to be a common thread in there. Sometimes it's a mystery as to what that common thread is. But it just depends. I mean, there are a few times I'll just pull, I'll go to one of the other readings or that. But I think at times that's, if you're making it too complicated or if if there's a danger of the preacher getting lost in his own homily, what do you think the poor people of God are going to be doing yeah. out there? So Yeah, and when, when I, like, I write mine and, you know, inevitably. Word for word, like you're writing a speech. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, so I also, you know, I start. Uh, Sunday or usually Monday. I give myself Sunday afternoon off usually, but uh, Monday I'll start reading over the gospel and, you know, have parts of it in my holy hour and that kind of thing. So yeah, just different. I, when I started preaching, I just remember thinking like, I pray that I never preach a homily that I don't like believe in, in the sense of like, without some kind of passion, you know, like something that I'm giving, feeding people with. And so for me, I kind of have to have like some nugget, like just one thing that really I feel like the Lord gave me in prayer over the scriptures. So, um, so yeah, I sort of search for that all week long. You know, sometimes it's Saturday morning and I'm like, okay, Lord, any (laughs) any time now, you can give me anything to preach on. Um, But usually I write my homily then uh, like Saturday morning um, and I write it basically verbatim. I kind of have a rule. I stick to two pages, you know, Garamond 14 point font. If I, if it's longer than two pages, then it it's feels too long to me. Uh, and I think, yeah, I'm sure it feels too long for my people. <laughs> well, that's a good rule of thumb. Two pages is about single, double space is about eight to 10 minutes. Yeah. And wasn't there this study, this was a few years ago. I remember where they, they, they talked about how often preachers preach at churches or uh, different denominations and the Catholic you know, I'll, let's be honest, us in the lay faithful are sometimes like, these priests just talk too long. But in all honesty, the Catholic Church is one of the, it's the shortest. I think it's what, like, is it like eight minutes is the average or seven oh, to yeah. eight minutes? We're, far, we're the shortest of all the Christian. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. And for the record, sometimes priests are also thinking, man, that priest is droning on. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes about ourselves. I, I think it was your <laughs> your uh, advice, you know, if if you ever are sitting there looking at the priest thinking, gosh, the only thing worse is to be the priest looking at your face. Uh, <laughs> well, one of, our, one of our brothers was telling me over dinner the other night that um, he noticed somebody while he was preaching was doing this. Like, <laughs> oh. come on. And I would have been like, you want more? I can give you more. And it's add five minutes. I mean, Yeah, so. I think the most like difficult thing to watch one time was somebody who was scrolling through their uh, like clearly reading a text message or maybe it was the new york times i'm not really sure he was scrolling for a while but just like clearly up in his face i was like okay i get it oh but it's like when you're up at preaching though at the ambo it's amazing that especially anytime you're in the sanctuary but the things that you see that nobody thinks you see i've watched people bounce their checkbooks (laughs) i've seen people on their phones and it's just like and you just keep Preaching away, but it's just like, oh. What's yeah. the funniest thing you guys have seen? While preaching? Yeah, while preaching. Or anything you've just seen at Mass. Mine was at Cathedral. Um, somebody came in uh, sometime after Mass began and came and sat about four pews in front of the uh, uh, podium, the ambo, and uh, was rattling this, like, grocery bag for, like, minute. I mean, everybody, everybody in the first, like, two sections of the pews were staring at him. And so I get up there for the gospel and I start preaching and everybody's just like, he's 
like kind of very nervously talking to himself and, and everybody is just like, nobody's listening to me at all. And I'm barely listening to me because I'm just thinking this guy's going to get up at some point and tackle me. <laughs> and so, and so um, thankfully, strangely, thankfully, uh, he answered his phone in the middle of my homily and got up and walked out. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have to, I didn't have to worry about him anymore, but very interesting. Do you, have any, do you have any stories like that? Any oh, characters you've I, seen? I remember I had one time. This is when I was at the cathedral the first time. This is before the renovation. So this is pre-2009. It was Palm Sunday. It was a Sunday night mass at five. And there were two little boys, brothers, had to be like four and six maybe, doing laps around the cathedral <laughs> during Liturgy of the Word. Oh, no. Literally doing laps <laughs> to the point that just before we get ready to get up for the to read the Passion Narratives, Right at the front in the middle aisle, the older brother picks up and just body slams the little one right there in front of God and everyone, right in the main aisle. And I remember because the ushers were trying to, and I was just like, yeah, it was just one of those things. I was just, I was like, you know. It's like, these are the things just, we didn't know we signed it's up surreal, for. It's surreal. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. All right, if you guys have any other funny stories that come to mind, because uh, this is all about, we well, never knew about the priesthood. Uh, uh, Think about those. Um, all right, some some of the kind of day to day questions. Do you have to offer mass every day? Do we have to know? Are we highly encouraged to? Absolutely, because the mass is the greatest prayer. And so, you guys on your days off, do you just you go in your chapel at your rectory and just is it always just you can by yourself? Sometimes, um, yeah, I sometimes offer mass with friends or something like that. But oftentimes, it's. Yeah, just praying the Mass by myself. or We are never alone because the angels and the saints are always present. Ah, true. Have they ever been run- seen them running laps around your chapel? Seen. They're probably shaking their head half the time. <laughs> but anyway, but. Uh, how, often do you, uh, how often do you go to confession? Where do you go to confession? Can you, you guys go? Will we all of a sudden randomly see you one time at line at you know, Parish X? Or do you have somewhere else you go? How does that work? I don't just show up to a parish because yeah. I always feel like it'll be weird for the faithful to see a priest standing in the line. I don't know why I think that's weird. I don't know. I just never saw it. So now as a priest, I'm like, I don't do that. But um, <laughs> I probably go, yeah, once a month. Um, I always tell people and counsel them in confession, you know, anytime you're just feeling like things are off in the spiritual life or, you know, like you need a hug from the Lord, <laughs> uh, then you go to confession. So yeah, sometimes mine's, you know, every two or three weeks. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, six or eight. Yeah, just and so you, you'll go outside the diocese or? Uh, no, I usually, I have uh, either my confessor or my spiritual director or um, I don't have, I don't think it's weird for my friends to hear my confession. So yeah. okay. I'll ask them. Father House, how do you, how do, you do confession? You normally, it's a lot, of, a lot of guys are confessor and their spiritual director with the same person. Mm-hmm. Or you do have a couple brother priests that, you know, or they've known you, you have a good bond with, and you can go to them. Like the guys in my support group. Yeah. Do you have to do, what is this, uh, daily prayers, liturgy of the hours, that's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. What, what, other, what are the things in, in a given day that we, the faithful, may not see? Uh, and what, what are liturgy of the hours for those who don't, don't even know? Well, liturgy of the hours, it's, I mean, we go back to what in the Psalms, where it says seven times a day I praise you. There's, so there are seven hours. Um, you know, a lot of times I think of the hours a lot of times think of the religious, the monastics were the ones who kept those. But there was a great emphasis following Vatican II that, you know, liturgy hours, that's the church's prayer. So everybody was encouraged to take part in it. So there are seven hours of the day. There's uh, the office of readings, which are called vigils. Um, 
the backbone of all the hours is the Psalms. Yeah. So the Psalter, we say. So there's the office of readings, and there's lauds or morning prayer. And then there's three smaller hours, which are mid-morning, day, or uh, afternoon and mid-afternoon. And those are midday and then mid-afternoon. Uh, and we do one of those three. You can do all, but you're obliged to do one of the three. Then there's evening prayer of vespers, and then there's Compline, which is night prayer. What if you miss one? Or do you guys like stop what you're doing like in the Let's middle of the <laughs> One does not do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the yeah, we made a, pro- a promise to pray them. So okay. if I miss one, then I take it to confession. Even if like you're like in the throngs of life in a certain... Yeah, I mean, there. I will say there are days when life gets busy and it's 9 p.m. and I'm praying daytime prayer and evening prayer. And oh, so you're prayer. catching up. Yeah, so oh, okay. I, I catch up if I miss one. Oh, okay, I it doesn't mean, have to be like during, if a daytime prayer, it can be no. at night if life gets crazy. The idea, though, with the Psalter or with the with Liturgy of the Hours is that you're sanctifying time, mm-hmm. right? We as priests and religious, we're, we're entering into the, to the eternal praises of, of heaven. We're entering into the eternal liturgy. So we're sanctifying time. So, you know, the idea is it's daytime prayer because you're sanctifying the daytime hours. So it's not meant to, daytime prayer is not really meant to be prayed at 9 p.m. The intention of the church is for you to do that at some point uh, during the daytime hours. So we try to do that, but there are times when when it's difficult. Well, a priest is supposed to be at prayer. People forget about that sometimes. I mean, in the Jewish tradition, if you would go and knock at the rabbi's door and you were told, well, the rabbi is studying, for a, a God-fearing Jew, oh, of course, absolutely. I think sometimes people don't realize that we're called to take time out, too. I mean, and it's for our own good to stop and enter into those times. I mean, besides evening, or besides liturgy of the hours, priest should make a holy hour every day. He should be spending an hour in silent prayer and meditation with the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, now, speaking of um, time of prayer, I know uh, in the middle of the night, uh, you guys can get phone calls. Uh, how does that work? And do you have a sacra- Do you have like a sacramental bag like by your bedside with like the Eucharist and holy oils? So when you get that two a.m. phone no, call, you're, now I'm going to make one. No, I was saying <laughs> I always thought that was a thing. Was that was that back in the day a thing? Get like priests kid. would have like <laughs> get a, your kit and your well, you hat, got your stuff, but you can't keep the blessed sacrament just next to your yeah, bed. He stays in a tabernacle. Oh, so. oh well, you go. I mean, you have you go run and get what in my well, if, well, a lot of times in emergency you can't give somebody the Eucharist. But shouldn't you bring it just in case? Well. It's, you can, but I mean, if someone's actually dying, I mean, the main thing is for the remission of sins. Yeah, it's all that involved. But a lot of times, no, it's it's anointing. Yeah, most of, most of the time when people call us, they call us only when the person's no longer conscious or, I mean, a, a grave accident, you know, they're not able to eat or, or really do any of that. So, But you do have like oil. Do you have like the oils in a special, like a, like a to-go oil? There's I keep a little, it in my car. There's a little oh, compartment right here next <laughs> yeah. to my driver's seat. And I, there's a stole in there. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. you're kind of smiling. I'm like, I don't know if that's, that, that's really fascinating. Yeah, no, in the car we have, most of us have the ritual for anointing of the sick, a purple stole, and an oil stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, how and do holy you, water. How do you guys handle, are, are your, is your phone line, I mean, as priests, do you guys just, if the phone rings at 2 a.m., the phone rings at 2 a.m., or do you, do you try to, if I mean, both, both of you have parochial vicars, do you try to divide it up? How does that, how does that logistics work? Well, it's, for me, it's all me, because my parochial vicar is a Dominican, so he lives over at the Priory. So, yeah, but that's just, I mean, our being taught uh, at seminary, I mean, if you're called, you go. You don't debate that. The phone rings, you answer it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for 
myself and Father Tremor, we live in the same house. It's the same phone that's ringing. So really, it's just whoever hears it. If it's in the middle of the night, oh, so you, sometimes you pretend you don't hear it. No, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. So there are times when I wish that I was not awake. But uh, but you answer. I mean, it really is. It's like I I gave up my life to do things like this to bring people to Jesus, and I don't get to demand when you know when people die. Uh, I would have to think, though, that's, I mean, okay, no one wants to wake up at 2 a.m., but that's almost like, if, like that, I guess that moment for you as a priest, that's where you, I feel like you have to feel like this is, this is why I'm a priest. Like, it's, I think that, that'd be one of the most powerful experiences to be yeah. called to a hospital. And if you're, you're the last, you know, you're, you're, you're the person that ultimately leads him or her to see the face of God. Yeah. It's funny, this past autumn, I probably was at somebody's deathbed more in the past three or four months than I was in 19 and a half years of priesthood. Um, and those, that's a graced place to be, to be with that person as they are leaving this life. And actually, and then, you know, along with the funeral mass, to, to be able to truly fulfill that office of standing in the place of Christ, to intercede for that person, you know, asking God to open to them the gates of paradise, to forgive their sins, to grant them a place at the heavenly table. That's uh, it's an honored place to be and to be there with the family. I mean, to be invited into that moment, it's a very sacred moment yeah. when someone departs this earthly life and to be able to be there to fortify them with the sacraments and also to support their loved ones as they're giving them back to the Lord. It's a, uh, it's a great privilege. Yeah, there was there was a woman that I anointed. And it was shortly after I uh, got to Decatur, and she just was in the sort of last throes of of cancer. And you know, we walked into her living room, and uh, myself and the seminarian who's with me, Daniel McGrath, we walked in, and you know, she was just up, and you could tell she couldn't get comfortable. She's up and down, and laying and sitting, and laying over on the other side, and she just was tossing and turning the entire time. And I gave her the sacrament of the anointing, and she just, you know, I laid my hands on uh, on her head, and she just just laid there, like, in peace. And her husband was just like, I haven't seen her like this for, like, 48 hours. And she just she just was very peaceful. Uh, and she lived for, for a couple more weeks after that. But uh, we got called back, you know, um, as the family thought she was getting closer, and um, we, Daniel prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet um, in her presence, you know, St. Faustina. Jesus gave her a promise that anybody who prays the the Divine Mercy Chaplet in the presence of a dying person, that he himself would safeguard their their um, movement into eternity. And so, um, so we prayed that prayer, and just the peace in in a room like that when when Jesus is there, you know, the Lord is just so clearly present. It's it's an incredibly privileged place to be as a priest. Now, uh, you get a little more uh, lighthearted. Your cassocks. Um, as if those are great stories, though. Um, Father House, I've seen I've seen you perusing on Cassock websites, I guess before. <laughs> um, you know, my wife's at home. I see here perusing on Amazon. You're you're on Cassock websites. How do you guys go about purchasing Cassocks? How, how do you even? Yeah, you, vestments <laughs> in general, or yeah, the, your vestments. Oh. Oh, maybe not your Cassock. Yeah, your vestments. Because yeah. uh, there's different colors and styles and all sorts of things. You have to do something during the bishops' meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say just it. Kidding, just kidding. No. Yeah, Father House is, uh, he's the most knowledgeable probably in our diocese uh, about where to go uh, to get the deals and the, you know, the good quality stuff. So I've been known to tell people where to go. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. No, it's like any, it's, um, yeah. I mean, liturgy was my, 
my special area of study before canon law. Liturgy was my first love. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, you just, you learn. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything. There are, someone's always looking to make a dollar, even when it comes to ecclesiastical realities and all that. I always said if I wasn't a priest, I'd sold religious goods because there's quite a market out I there. I think that's something that people don't realize, though, is how expensive <laughs> liturgical things are because it's such a specialty. Even this shirt that I'm wearing costs 45 euro or something just like that. Just a generic black shirt. Yeah, with a with a tiny little plastic tab in it. I mean, it's, but because... Why did you not, say euro? Because I bought it in Italy. <laughs> Listen, okay. Um, <laughs> Father Friedel's a snob. <laughs> he, he buys everything imported from Italy. But it's they're expensive. They're like even just a basic shirt for us costs you know costs a little bit more. And um, so then you go to like the the vestments that we wear at mass. What are those? A thousand bucks? Oh well, well you can. can oh, yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, I can send you to a site over in Italy that, I mean, they're like. 3,000 euros, yeah. so that would be like $3,500. And I'm just like, boy, how could you just, I just don't know how you could justify that. I mean, that's just me. I mean, so if anybody thinks that our vestments are simply a tablecloth that you cut a hole in the middle and throw it over you, yeah. I guarantee you that's not that. <laughs> some of them that's are. Not the case. Well, some of them, yeah, some of them are that way, yes. No, but, but you know, I mean, it's like you want it, you, you want it to be worthy for what we're doing. It's the sacrifice of the mass. And you the have whole, some really cool vestments. With some really cool like imagery and yeah, stuff. I've on designed it. most of them myself. We have a. But seriously? Oh yeah. How do you do that? Well, I mean, you pick stuff out and that. There's a family business up in uh, Chicago called the House of Hanson. So I guess I'll give my plug to the House of Hans. I've known them for years. We, we as the priests of the Diocese of Springfield, always say, Father House, put the house in the House of Hanson. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the place you go up there and you just kind of. They're great folks to sit and talk to and that, but you just pick things out. And one thing about them, they, I mean, they'll custom make things. Cause yeah. like, I mean, they're I'm clerical f- tailors. Really. I'm five foot six. And a lot of the stuff that comes from the catalog. I mean, it's, it's the European makers make their stuff really long. It kind of became the style for a while, but it's just too much. And so, yeah. So anyhow, that is, yeah. That's very fascinating. So, all right. So, so you, you'll go every once in a while. You're just like, yeah, you know, like, like even lay people like, yeah, I, I need a new suit. Like yeah. everyone's saying, be like, you know, I want to just kind of get a different color or a different style or add, add something. So you'll just hop online and buy yeah, something. Yeah, there's American places. There's a, Right now, I mean, Rome used to have some really great places. Some of the businesses in Rome are, are shutting down, which is strange to see. But uh, Poland has become a yeah. like a sort of mecca of, of uh, liturgical things because there's um, such a culture there of Catholicism. So... There's good places, you, but you can always email Father House if you yeah. if you want to know. He'll where. hook you up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, random question that I've always seen at Mass that I get confused by. During the consecration, you priests are always, like, flipping back and forth. And I'm thinking, sometimes I get distracted. I'm like, why don't they just put the thing in order? Like, it's like, all of a sudden you're going back, and then two minutes later you're forward, and then you're flipping back. I'm like, why isn't it just in order? What is going on up That's there? That's a great question. <laughs> We we could uh, we could make an app and then just have a scrolly screen uh, in front of us, which Gosh, they do have. God forbid. But I remember they even oh that was a couple of years ago they made this thing that looks like a book. It was made of wood. And you could find the altar. It looks like a missile, and you could put your iPad oh, in gosh. it. I, mean, I will just never. Like, oh, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. No. 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 You know, it's just it's how the missile is designed. So you it's arranged to where at the beginning you would have what we call the proper of the seasons. So the prayers for. Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, the Sundays of Ordinary Time, 
Then in the middle, you have what we call the, the ordinary, which kind of tells you the order of the Mass and places to go. Then you have the prefaces of the Eucharistic prayers. Then you have the Eucharistic prayers. Then you have the communion rite. And then after all that, then you'll get the solemn blessings. Then there's the count, the sanctural cycles so with the calendar of all the saints. That's in there. And then you have, if it's a saint's day, if they don't supply all the, the three main prayers, then you've got what we call the commons. So that's why you're going back and forth. Exactly. That, and that's why the book has to have like five or six ribbons in it. So you keep things marked. Say, do you guys, before Mass, are you making sure, like double-checking, you know where oh, you're flipping? You have to set it, yeah, or else you're going to be in trouble. When you yeah, I know there. I know yeah. priests that just walk out and kind of cold, you know, they'll I'll find the pages. I don't do, I do not do <laughs> What's that. the same with our breviary? Well, the breviary has you got so and sometimes with the breviary you need holy cards to go with all the ribbons. Yeah. But that was always a kind of a cruel thing to do in seminary. You pull somebody's ribbons out of their breviary, then they have to reset <laughs> the thing. So yeah. So we're, we're cruel. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. All right. Um, another question I have is, you know, you all are running parishes and schools. Uh, I think of, you know, we think of seminarians receiving theological and f- philosophical training. What sort of training, I'll call it business, businessy or, you know, I mean, you guys are running, you know, a lot of money. I mean, hopefully a lot of money because people are getting donations. <laughs> Less get my, than one might think. Uh, yeah, okay. Maybe that's true. <laughs> um you know, what do you, you guys get any business type training in the seminary or do they touch on that or how, and then how, or if not, how do you how do you even go about running a parish, especially? I mean, this is your first parish yeah. for you, Father Friedel. We, we get some like sort of parish management skills. You know, the we have formation that it supplements our academic uh, schooling, you know, so we get the formation conferences that are, you know, how to run an RCIA program and how to you know, do all the kind of pastoral needs, but also there's some um, sort of managerial skills that they teach us and that kind of thing. It's not super heavy, you know. I, some people say that there should be more business training in a, in a seminary um, than there is. You know, there's there's room for that, I suppose, where you could add some more technical financial stuff or whatever, but the reality is uh, you know, in our diocese, it might look somewhat the same from parish to parish, roughly speaking. That's not necessarily the case for me and my classmate from, you know, the Archdiocese of New York. Our parishes might be run, our fiscal structures might be very different. And so there's, it's hard for a seminary who teaches such a, a broad range of seminarians to to speak to every reality in every diocese everywhere or whatever parish uh they might get into. So there's a lot of learning on the road and that's why they make us parochial vicars before they make us pastors so that we can, you know, I learned everything I know of parish finances from the finance council meetings at Father House uh, (laughs) (laughs) conducted at the cathedral. But you you learn along the way and there's a lot of relying upon the people of God in our parishes. And and that's really the key. I mean, and every seminary is different. Some are better at, at teaching these skills or these courses than others are. Um, but that's why you, hopefully, you have a good bookkeeper or a good business manager. That's why, hopefully, you have a finance council that has not just the people who are going to tell you yes, but people who are going to be like, well, I don't know about that father because they've got the business background. Because, you know, I was, I was trained to be, uh, I mean, I have a BA in history, and I've got sacramental theology and canon law, and I have a business background. I rely on my finance council to bounce things off of them, to have them tell me, you could do it this way, this way, this would not be good, things like that. These are people, these are their talents that God has given them. 
And so that's why it's mandated in church law to have a finance council. And it's good that it's mandated to have that because mm-hmm. you need that council to help you out. I mean, I, at least I do. I rely on my finance council. How, so. cha- how challenging is it, though? I mean, you all, okay, you're, you're going, you're, you, you want to be a priest to be a priest. And now, okay, even though you have these councils who are maybe helping you, ultimately the buck stops with you and you're forcing to make, you know, human resource decisions and finance decisions and benefit package decisions. I mean, I guess what decision I'm supposed to be making, you know, (laughs) I I guess what's that like? Because, you know, I'm I'm still thinking like, you know, I just want to offer the sacraments and help people in their spiritual journey to heaven. And now I'm getting bogged down sometimes by these other things. I don't know. I mean, not to over spiritualize everything, but one of the things that we're ordained for is for the pastoral pastoral governance of the church. You know, the reason I'm a secular priest, a diocesan priest and not a monk is because I have been given care of the, the material goods of the church. Like I, that's part of my calling is to oversee that. And so, you know, it can be frustrating sometimes because I think priests nowadays take on a lot more than maybe they did uh, in years past. Um, but, or we're expected to, to take over certain aspects of the parish that maybe they didn't used to, but you kind of rise to the occasion. The Lord gives you the grace. I don't know. I, I, I have not really felt too overburdened by that. And there's thankfully a lot of resources for us in the parish and at the diocese. To, and that's, to help. yeah, and that's the thing on the diocesan level. I mean, if you don't ha- if you need help, you call, you find someone who can help you. Yeah. That's, you don't have to go it alone. And that's, you know, that's also something um, that I think our people don't realize that how often, you know, maybe we have recourse to the diocese for different things. It's, you know, people think of it as like kind of headquarters or something, but really there's a lot of resources here that the diocese provide, uh, provides for us as pastors that, you know, I am often making calls over here because I don't have an HR background, but guess who does? The person who's in charge of <laughs> HR here. So, you know, I can call <laughs> I can call uh, that person and, and get the help that I need. So our, our parishioners get, I think, sometimes a negative connotation of the diocese, like they're just mandating things from on high, but they're actually, they can be very good and resourceful for us. I appreciate that, Father Friedel. Good man right there. All right, we'll, get, we'll, get you, we'll get you out on this one. Um, I know you guys have already touched on a couple of stories, but as you think through your priesthood, a powerful story or a funny story or, you know, anything that comes to mind that you, uh, you know, when you, when you imagine you signed up for, for this, you know, years ago, you, you never imagined X story happening. I hope you have something prepared. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Nothing a, comes to mind. I don't know. I used to always joke with Monsignor Heffler because we were ordained together. I said, boy, on ordination day when we were prostrate on the cathedral floor, if somebody would have whispered half this stuff in my ear, <laughs> I'd have jumped up and ran out the side door. <laughs> no, I'm just I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't know. what. I mean, there's, all, there's so many stories. I mean, I mean, there's heartbreak and there's joy and there's everything in the middle and there's frustration and anger. I mean... I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing. There's nothing, not one thing that, that one thing jumps would. out because it's it's all been grace. I mean, for better or for worse, it's still grace. Yeah, and there's. I mean, there's times when you go straight from one to the next. You know, from laughing with with someone or whatever to to you know like oh when the emergency call comes you know you don't you don't get to say hold on I'll be there in 15 minutes I kind of need to get in the right mental space you know you just you just go and there's a the Lord is so surprising and so gracious and. There's, you really do kind of go from one thing to the next. And the challenge sometimes as a priest is to be reflective on your experiences, to, you know, like mourn when we have to mourn for things that we've lost or 
um, for the experience that maybe we've had to go through and and to give thanks when we need to give thanks and that kind of thing. Um, sometimes we go so from one thing to the next that it can be hard uh, to stop and really reflect on our experience. That's why prayer is such an important thing to relate it all to the Lord. But yeah. Oh, I don't know. There's, there's, there's been, many. there's been so many things. Oh, well, we'll remember we'll some it, of those things. We'll make a different podcast. Yeah, make it, <laughs> Write them down in funny stories because I, I, what I took from, I, this is a great podcast. I, I loved your story about the, the kids running laps in the cathedral. I, I found that. I thought of my kids who run laps and usually someone gets hurt in my house because they're running around. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for your vocation. Great conversation. Uh, if you would like more podcasts, head over to dio.org slash podcast and uh, you may write a letter to one of your priests and tell them how much you thank them. Uh, or thank them for all the hard work they do, something you can maybe do with this upcoming Lenten season. Until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.